Uh, so first I'll be reading from Numbers 24, verse 17. I see him now, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel. He will crush the foreheads of Moab, the skulls of all the people of Sheth. Uh, next is from Isaiah 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then from Matthew 2, 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judah, Judea, Judah, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all, the Jerusal and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Do you have in mind that thing that you want for Christmas? I see some very young people here with us tonight. I know some of you have, um, have the privilege of having children. And... There's this thing with children and with babies where we give them gifts that are appropriate for their age. But we come to a scripture passage tonight where Jesus is presented with gifts that are not appropriate for his age. I want you to imagine, if you will, uh, there's a toddler somewhere or, or, or a, a five-month-old, a six-month-old somewhere, and tomorrow morning, Someone's going to get his little hands and help him tear the paper off. And underneath all the wrapping is going to be the keys to a Lamborghini. You'd say, that's ridiculous. Or dad's got a gift for himself and he's giving it through the child. We all understand that gifts are age appropriate. And in fact, when we exchange gifts most of us in our holiday season, we don't just gauge the appropriate of the gift exchange by the age of the person, but by the nature of our relationship to them. So is this a work colleague? Well, maybe I'll pick something up at the reject shop as I'm walking by and, and I'll say, here, look what I got for you. Is it your spouse? Maybe you give them something a little more significant than that. Family member? You know, it depends what you want the relationship to be, right? Right? 
Tonight we're going to look at this story of the Magi presenting gifts to Jesus. But the story of the Magi is often overshadowed by this picture of the star. And so, as we've been looking through this month at the coming day, we've been trying to join in anticipating with the people of the Old Testament what it meant for the Messiah to be born. And as we're doing that, we're also recognizing that there is a day in the future when Christ is coming back, that we can join in anticipating his return. The child who was born king is the king who will indeed return on that day. And so tonight we're going to be looking at this picture of Christ as the morning star. He was a morning star that was promised to come, and indeed, symbolically, miraculously, it was a star that the Magi followed to Bethlehem. So, by way of overview, tonight we're going to try to answer three questions. First one is, what is the morning star? The second one, why is Jesus called the morning star? And thirdly, when will the night be over? <laughs> what is the morning star? Why is Jesus called the morning star? And thirdly, when will the night be over? That last question, I trust, will make sense as we move forward. But the big question, if you're someone who just likes to focus on one thing, is to be asking yourself, where is this star leading us or leading me? The big idea is that if you follow the star, you'll find the king. You will find him, just like the Magi did. But what is a morning star? Well, according to a very reputable website, supposedly, uh, uni universetoday.com, they must be reputable because they charge you $3 for an ad-free subscription. I did not pay it. Uh, but according to universetoday.com, you will read that a morning star is when the planet, Venus, is on the other side of the sun. It leads the sun as it travels across the sky, and Venus will rise in the morning a few hours before the sun. So then as the sun rises, the sky brightens, and Venus fades away in the daytime sky. This is Venus as the morning star. There's a lot of different theories as to what the Magi saw in the sky. Uh, you can, some, some say it was a conjunction, it was a planetary conjunction uh, that had to do with a special omen, which was very popular to, in, in those days. People would look at the stars and look for omens. Uh, some people uh, say it was a comet. Uh, I believe it's, it's Chinese civilization that traced a comet around 7 BC going through the sky. Some say it was that. Uh, some just claim it, it was a miraculous appearance of a star. Either way, there is something different about the morning star. Jesus calls himself the morning star in Revelation 22, verse 16. At the end of the book, this is in the last few words of the Bible. Jesus says, I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. What does Jesus mean when he calls himself this morning star? Well, to understand that, we're going to have to go on our own little journey. Our own little journey following the star. But rather than following the star through the sky, which is impossible right now, you can look outside, it's still bright and sunny. Instead of following the star through the sky, we're going to follow the star through the pages of scripture. And we're going to see what this symbolically represents and why it's appropriate to Jesus Christ. We're going to spot the star, then we're going to track the star, and finally, we're going to find the king. 
We spot the star in verse in Numbers 24, verses 17 to 19. Here you need to understand that there was a, a, a pagan prophet, a seer, somebody who was not exactly orthodox in their belief. His name was Balaam. He's sort of famous throughout the Bible, even though he appears in a very brief account. He's most famous because he's the one who had to be corrected by a donkey. You may remember that story. Balaam was on the donkey, and the donkey turned around and said, where are you going, and why are you doing this to me? But many of us forget what he was on the donkey for. And the reality was he was a mercenary prophet, meaning he was a prophet for hire. He was a seer of spiritual things. And so when this king named Balak heard of the people of Israel conquering other nations as God was bringing them out of Egypt, he hired Balaam. And he said, I'm going to pay you good money to go and pronounce a curse on God's people. And Balaam said, I don't mind a good buck. And he said, sure, I'll take the gig. So he got up, eventually he made it, he opened his mouth to speak, and when he went to curse, a blessing came out. This didn't happen once, it didn't happen twice, it happened three times. Three times he tried to curse them. And after the third time, if you look in the book of Numbers, it says the Spirit of God came upon him and he spoke. And as Balaam is looking out over the camp of God's people, he says he sees a star in the distance. Now by this point in the narrative, we realize that Balaam is not speaking on his own. God is choosing to speak through him. And what God is saying through this pagan prophet who in many ways will imitate the Magi in this story, what God is saying at that time was there is a bright thing in the sky, it's coming. It's in the distance, it's not here now, it's in the distance. And sure enough, it would be centuries before Christ would come. But he saw in that star a glimmering scepter. A scepter is a symbol of authority, it's a symbol of rule. And Balaam would go on to say how that scepter would crush the heads of the enemies of God's people. Balaam, this pagan prophet, you could say, was the first to spot the star. But then we can track the star not just from the house of, not, not just from, you know, the, the line of Jacob, but we can track it to the house of Jesse. If you go to 1 Kings chapter 10, you'll read the story of David's son, Solomon. And David's son Solomon was given great wisdom. And in in the wisdom that he had, he became renowned and wealthy and famous. So famous that another person of royalty, the Queen of Sheba, actually said, I got to go see this Solomon. And again, sort of symbolically anticipating the Magi, she loads up with lots of gifts and comes from Arabia to the city of David. And in the courts of Solomon... She brings her gifts and professes the wisdom. And so we see this brilliance, this brilliant lineage, this promise of God that a ruler would come out of Jacob, more specifically, a house being built through the line of David, here recognized by the Queen of Sheba. And we trace it finally into Matthew chapter 2 where the star leads to the king of the Jews. 
That's the title that Jesus is given in Matthew chapter 2. He's not going to get that title again until Matthew chapter 27 when that name is hanging above him on a cross, King of the Jews. And the Magi come and they find a baby born of Mary in Bethlehem. And here we have a third king, King Herod, who is terrified, paranoid you might say. But the Magi who come, they are joyful and they are worshiping. And they bring these extravagant gifts. The gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh are often talked about symbolically as, you know, representing different aspects of Jesus' life and ministry. And I'm not here to say whether that's entirely true or not. That was a later development under one of the church fathers, Irenaeus. What is true at that time was each of those gifts were luxury items. These are Gucci bags. This is Tiffany bracelets. This is Lamborghinis. This is stuff that the rich of the rich can only afford. It's the Rolls Royce. These are luxury goods that are brought to this baby. So why does Jesus call himself the morning star? Well, he calls himself the morning star, first of all, because he appears from heaven amidst our darkness. He's also called the morning star because his appearance was bright. It's bright for all to see. It's in the sky. It's vivid. But most of all, he's called the morning star because his appearance signaled a new day. Remember, that's what the picture of the morning star is. When you see that morning star, whether you're, on a, you're sailing on a ship or whether you're lost in the wilderness or whether you're, 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 you're outside the front porch of your own home, you see the star in the sky if you happen to be up that late at night, you know the day is nearly here. And so Jesus Christ is the one who marks, he signals a new day. As the morning star points to the dawning of a new day, so the birth of Jesus, the birth of a king, points to the start of a new reign. I'm an American. We don't do kings. We elect our officials. But I've been so blessed to live in a commonwealth who still has some sort of categories for, for royalty. We just marked the death of a monarch. We're about to mark the, what is it, coronation of a new one. And I always wonder, why do they make such a big deal whenever a person in the royal family gets married? Why do they make such a big deal when the person in the royal family has a child? It's because there's, there's bound up in that idea this, this lineage that, that maybe with this one, It'll work out. Maybe times will be good under this king. Jesus' birth marks a new reign, a new day, a new regime. I want you to take a moment to compare these kings in these stories to the ministry of Jesus. We sing the song, We Three Kings. I want you to think about these three kings in this story. Balak, the briber, 
Solomon the sage and Herod this heinous monarch who was filled with hate. If you look at Balak, you see Balak, he was a king who thought that power was something that you could acquire through bribery. He thought power was something that you accumulated for yourself. So you leverage this relationship, you leverage that resource, you, you, you sort of consolidate under yourself so much power and that's the place from which you rule. But Jesus possesses a power by virtue of his own authority, by virtue of his own identity and being the son of God. The pre-incarnate son, Jesus doesn't have to pay anybody off to make him king. He doesn't have to pay tribute to, to any other nation. In fact, he can enter the world in probably the most lowly, one of the most lowly replications of any circumstance that you could ever think of. He's born in the backwaters of nowhere to someone without social standing under dubious circumstances. If you were going to pick and write your fairy tale story for the entrance of the king of kings, you probably wouldn't pick that. But it doesn't matter, you see, ultimately. Because the authority of Jesus to be king is bound up in who he is. Not in how he's received. Not in what people give him or don't give him. He is king because he possesses that authority of his own. What about wisdom? Solomon is renowned for his wisdom and, and he dispensed that wisdom to create a lot of wealth and, and, and to really expand the borders of Israel. But he also used that wisdom to pursue his own selfish ambition and his own selfish desires. How else does a man end up with a thousand wives? Jesus, however, would use that wisdom to share, to console, to comfort and to counsel. And what about glory? Herod is a king in this story who's so bound up with this idea of his own glory. He's so concerned about preserving his glory that he's scared of a little baby. He's so scared of a baby that if you keep reading in Matthew chapter 2, in his fear, he will kill every male child within the window that he thinks this baby could have been born. And so Mary and Joseph and Jesus have to fly to Egypt. Why? Because his glory is something that can be taken from him. But with Jesus, his glory can't be taken from him. In fact, he can display his glory through his suffering. You see. This is a new day. This is a new kind of king. He rules and he reigns with a unique authority, with a wisdom that is not from earth, but a wisdom that is from heaven that he dispenses gladly for all of us to find our purpose and our meaning, to understand who we are, to make sense of this darkness and to guide us in the path of peace. And his is a glory that cannot be taken away. So if that's true, then when will the night be over? The answer is soon. <laughs> soon. We are living in the first light. In other words, we are awaiting the sunrise. There's this period before the sun actually comes up where it becomes bright. 
And you can't see the sun yet. The sun actually hasn't broke the horizon. But, but you, you see things beginning to light up. Guess what, folks? That's where we're living right now. We are, we are in a period where, where, where darkness is still present, but if you cast your eyes to the horizon, and if you look to the morning star, you'll see first light. You'll see the darkness fading. When's the night going to be over? It's going to be over soon because Jesus rose from the dead as the first fruits of a new kind of kingdom. His existence now is different than any other existence, and the Bible says when he appears, we will be like him. We will be as he is now. Death will be destroyed. The body that is broken, the physical body, will be replaced with a glorious, glorified body, befitting the image of the sons and daughters of God. And even now, that new kingdom is ruling in the hearts of men and women who have had a dead spirit revived and replaced with the spirit of the living God that they might now walk and live in the power of the spirit and become worshipers of God not, not, not in places that are organized around a central location or, 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 or simply the traditions of men but worshipers that worship God in spirit and in truth who walk with God when will the night be over? Soon. Soon. Because Jesus' reign is well underway from heaven. And the question remains, will we follow the star and go to him? The Magi were given a very simple, a simple description in Matthew's gospel. It says, they saw the star rise. And when they saw his star in the sky, they went to him. That's the application tonight, folks. That's the best thing you can do with Christmas, is to recognize that Jesus is the morning star, to recognize that in him is the, is the coming of a new day, a, a new reign, a new reality, a new, a new king, a certain hope, and go to him. So what should we not do? <laughs> what should we not do? I think these other three kings in the story are, are a good example of what not to do. You see, Balak saw God as an enemy. He saw God as an enemy to be controlled. And so he did everything in his power to try to keep God away. And he used all his resources to oppose God. And for a while it looked like he had an army and for a while it looked like he might have had a fighting chance and even the logic was sound in his plan, you may think. But at the end of the day, he was no match for God or for his people. And so some people today, they set themselves against God. And they lean into their wealth, they lean into their resources, they lean into, into their relationships and they try to leverage all these things so that they can construct a defense against the living God. So that they can say, I actually am going to go to battle with you, God. I'm going to go to war with you. And I'm going to go to war with your king. Because I think I can prevail. Don't do that. Solomon's a different story. Because Solomon said all the right things. He prayed to God. He even had a relationship with God. But at the end of the day, Solomon, what he's known for, is using the gift of God to serve the desires of a corrupt heart. 
He uses, he, he's a picture of somebody who's given so much blessing and so much grace from God. But at the end of the day, he never allows God to rule his heart undividedly. Instead, he's governed by pragmatism and by pursuing his own desires and his own protection and his own plans. And in Solomon, we see a picture of people who are happy to have God be God as long as he's serving their agenda. But God won't serve the agenda of our fallen hearts. And some people like Herod, they're living in this bubble of their own glory. And they've, con they've constructed this, this paper mache imaginary facade of, of life and of what it is. And they hear there's another king and they say, I cannot have my glory taken by another. I have to show that I can do it. I have to show that I'm worth it. I have to show that I am important. Infants be damned. Don't do these things. Don't oppose God's king. Don't try to co-opt the gift of God for your own fallen and corrupt desires. And don't become so consumed with your own glory that you can try to rob God of his. Instead, ask yourself, what should I expect when I meet him? What should I expect when I meet this king, Jesus? From the text, it's clear that the Magi had an expectation that they were coming into the presence of someone who was greater than they were. Someone who was worthy of getting all of their Gucci bags and all their Nike sneakers and all, and all the best things that they could have in life. And they said, you know what, boys? Clear off the shelves. We've got to make a trip because there is a king who's worthy of all this. And it doesn't say that they went begrudgingly. It says they went with joy. When they saw the star move from Jerusalem over to the house in Bethlehem, they saw the star. The Bible says they were filled with joy. They rejoiced. Why? Because they were anticipating someone who would bring light to this darkness. Be like the queen of Sheba, who though she was royal, though she was enthroned, was not afraid to humble herself and to load up her wagons and say, I need to be in the presence of someone who is wiser and someone who is greater. You know what's amazing about the story of the queen of Sheba? She probably left with more than she brought. There was no question that wasn't answered. There was no conundrum that wasn't resolved. And when she left, she was loaded up. People, some of us don't go to Jesus because we have our expectations not calibrated properly. We think we're going to go to him and he's going to rob us. We're going to go to him and he's going to fight us. We're going to go to him and he's going to trick us. He's not going to do any of those things. You're going to go to Jesus and you're going to have joy. He will send you with more than you brought. He will give light in places you didn't even know needed to be illuminated.
So, what do you give a king? <laughs> what do you bring? I don't know. I've never been invited to, a, to an audience with a king or a queen. I've, I've never had that experience. I know it's hard to shop for my dad. <laughs> because, you know, he's got his own means, his own bank account, his own job, his own stuff. He buys what he wants. I don't, if I don't know what to give my dad, I don't know. What do I, what do I give to a king? I don't know what Christ is going to ask of you when you find him, but what I can tell you is it starts by bringing yourself. It starts by going to him, bringing you, bringing who you are, as you are. A lot of people get tripped up here. They think, oh, you know, I'm not the religious type. I, got, I haven't been through all, I haven't ticked all the boxes. Man, Australia loves boxes. You know, I, I, I haven't, you know, I haven't been to the course. I haven't done that course. I, you know, I don't know how, to, I can't pray yet because I don't have a theology degree. Well, that's the pastor's job. You know, they're, they're the professional. I pay them to be spiritual for me so that, you know, on that day when I happen to meet God, I can just sort of sit in the background and say, yeah, I was with him. No. Just bring yourself. Just bring yourself. And bring your best. Not to earn his favor. <laughs> Not to earn his favor. But you bring, you bring everything. Because you realize you don't need it anymore. Jesus told the story. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who found treasure in a field. And in his joy, he went and he sold all that he had and he bought the field. Is it because that stuff wasn't worth it? No, other people wanted to buy that stuff, but to him, to him there was nothing else worth what was in that field. And in his joy he sold it all. Because he reasoned in his head and in his heart, I don't need anything else. If I have what's in that field. I don't know where you're at this Christmas. My encouragement to you, as I invite the band to come back up, my encouragement to you is to be thinking about, have I come before this king? Have I brought myself to this king? And if you have, let there be joy in your heart. Because the new day is dawning. And you found the morning star. Jesus said, in a very strange way, earlier in the book of Revelation, he said to one of the churches that was struggling, he said, if you overcome... I'll give you the morning star. I'm going to give you my light. I'm going to give you my glory. 
I'm going to share my reign with you. That's the best gift you could ever have. I've asked, uh, I've asked the band to, they didn't prepare this, so <laughs> this is what happens when you work with someone like me. Um, I've asked the band to, to, to sing a familiar carol for us tonight, which is Silent Night. And rather than letting your mind go to this quaint picture that you might have seen on a Hallmark card or a mug at Kurong of you know, all the animals and everyone just sort of nicely posing for a picture, you know, next to the baby Jesus. Instead, what I want you to think about is the holiness of that moment and how the visit of these seers, these people who were searching, how they bowed before him You see, it's not silent night because the animals were asleep. It's silent night because in the presence of holiness, you shut your mouth. You shut your mouth. And you say, I'm in the presence of greatness. I'm in the presence of the king. So we're going to stand and we're going to sing that now. I'm just going to invite you to let that picture of these pagan seers from afar offering their luxury items at the feet of a child wrapped in swaddling cloth. Only this king. Would you stand as we sing together?
peace from the 